Town Hall's Saturday Night Shut-In. I'm your host, Mr. Moderator. Back again after some more time off. Life has been hectic. Don't think I don't care. Although I ha I'm, I'm trying to redefine caring, which we can get into later. But life has been busy. Not bad, as I told someone earlier today, where all the essentials are, things have been good. You know how a, a president, about three years into his first term, suddenly looks about 15 years older? I feel I've reached that point in my life, my, uh, my campaign. Took the day off, kind of a vacation at first. Actually had to do a little bit of work first couple hours. I still have a lot of work to do probably over the weekend to justify having a few hours where I could justify having all contact with my office shut down. Long overdue. Didn't get as much Christmas shopping done as I had hoped, but I got some done. The one thing I was really longing for while I was out walking around downtown in Philadelphia was a good old record store to flip through. I wasn't in the area where uh, you know, some record stores still are. There's one record store that's been around for a long time, which I will never go to because the, uh, the owner crew there, a bunch of dicks, a bunch of hipster dicks. I don't understand. Like, if you're a hipster, shouldn't you just get off on being cooler than everyone else and be, like, kind of cool about being hip? Some people are hip. And they, they just want to rub their dick in your face, too. I, I'm not a big fan of that, uh, that style of hipster. But I was down on 3rd Street, man. And the old building where 3rd Street Jazz used to be is still there. Still looking pretty much the same. You know, there's a long stretch in my life when I, I thought maybe I'd reconnect with my father someday. He's been dead for a long time. That, that wouldn't have happened even if he had stayed alive. But now I'm getting to a point in life where I just want to see Third Street Jazz back in business. I want to see the owner Gary there. I want to see Mark. I want to see Chaz. I want to see that whole crew that used to be there. Get the jazz stuff up top. You can kind of hang out and be a jazz hipster as much as you could pull that off. I could only pull it off for so much. And then scurry on downstairs with rock albums hang out, listen to stuff, talk about things, talk about shows we're going to, all that fun stuff. I know there's this big vinyl revolution, vinyl comeback, and all this and that. It just seems like it's the, the six hipster douchebags who taking the lead there.
Millennium, actually Voices of the Millennium, technically. I'll talk about that in a second. A song called Together in the End. So I did this evening. I uh, went to a, a local record store and music store, pretty close to my home, and uh, it's a pretty cool place. It opened. I guess that it was originally just a tiny little music store and like a little shop like a half-size store. And they always just had old funky instruments, which I love tooling around on, even though I, I stink at, you know, the one instrument I kind of can play, guitar. Uh, but then about, a, I don't know, a year, two years ago, they got a larger space in the same area, a couple blocks away, and also had a, bins of records, mostly used stuff, and priced, you know, moderately priced, some stuff's over overpriced, as uh, as I learned just today. That Millennium record, for for instance, actually Voices of the Millennium, I should say. But it was so good to just kind of just you know get my fingers and just go through the the bin. I, I realize even though I'm left-handed, I'm more of a right-handed flipper. Uh, but I used to be able to in my prime. In the 80s, I could I could do both hands flipping at once in two different you know two different bins. That was great. And there's always that guy. Sometimes it'd be the guy like in the you know you're going left to right or right to left depending on where you started in the alphabet. And sometimes there's that guy who's just the slow flipper. Or he didn't even have a system. He wasn't really even a flipper. He was just a guy you know hunting and pecking through the bin. He like just get up on his tail. It's kind of like a, I guess if you're like a a good golfer and you're behind someone who's you know doesn't know what they're doing and they're taking their time and they're chatting with their friends it's probably really annoying if you're a good just kick-ass golfer who wants to get down to business and the links your tea time whatever the terms are but if uh you're that person and you're behind the slow poke well you're listening to saturday night shut-in your rock town hall regular you probably know what I'm talking about. So the voices of the millennium, together in the end. Now the millennium has this one amazing album that I discovered, you know, late '80s, early '90s, which uh, there was this, you know, Kurt Bechner, Boucher, I don't know how his name's pronounced, Gary Usher, all these uh, L.A. you know, kind of second. Uh, second-rate, cut-rate, you know, Beach Boys kind of guys. Gary Usher actually produced some big stuff. I think he worked with the Beach Boys. He produced The Birds. Went to college with a guy who's named Skippy, of all things. And he was like the nephew of, of uh, Gary Usher. I remember he had, he actually had a gold record in his dorm room freshman year. But I digress. The Millennium album, the one album by the Millennium that I have is amazing. I didn't even know they had a second album. I'm flipping through the bins and I see this thing called Voices of the Millennium. Interesting. It turns out it's the, the Lost Millennium album. So this is kind of a collection of demos by the different guys. 
Sean Salisbury is another guy who kind of sings lead and, and writes some of the songs. And at first spin, it's not the best $12 I've ever spent. Now, that, that was the most expensive thing by far that I bought today, playing mostly stuff that I acquired today. And, you know, of course, on the label, the sunshine pop. Ugh. I hate that term. And it's probably more than the term. I think I got that Millennium album probably like two weeks before that term was coined. But it has haunted me and annoyed me ever since. And it's it's not, again, it's, the term itself wasn't so bad. But any time now, you know, any time someone comes up with a new genre, a new term, whatever, and all these people start jumping on the bandwagon, all these people who were like a couple weeks behind me, you know, suddenly they're, they're like digging through their archives and you know, doing all the research and pushing up their, uh, you know, pushing up their pince-nez and you know, telling me about that sunshine pop. Oh man, you got to hear the Sagittarius album that they put out before the millennium. Pretty much the same people. It's amazing. I bought the Sagittarius album. It was terrible. Sounds like, you know, when uh, it's one of those things, I feel the same way about the band Jeff Lynn was in before the move, before he joined the move. I'm blanking on their name right now, but it's the same thing. If you remember in the, in, in uh, the Brady Bunch, whenever like Greg, Greg turned on the radio or Marsha turned on the radio and there's some like generic groovy 60s music in the background, that's what was playing. Sagittarius album, Stinks. Anyhow, so far I'm afraid this Voices of the Millennium Lost Album BS is uh, going to be a little more like Sagittarius than I was hoping. Before that, we heard the Carpenters doing Ticket to Ride, which I never knew they did on their first album. I didn't know anything about the Carpenters' first album. I was watching this flipping channels the other night, and there were some Carpenters, you know, very, uh, very reverent Carpenters documentary. Richard Carpenter sitting at the piano, tinkling away and telling these very smug, self-satisfied, proud, and, 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 and then ultimately, though, kind of touching stories about the work that he and his sister Karen did. And it occurred to me, he's kind of like the Ray Manzarek of, of soft rock, you know, just dedicated to this beloved, departed uh, collaborator, uh, just complete belief and pride in what they did together. Even though it might be a little bit inflated, it's kind of nice. It's kind of cool that somebody actually believes that much when they start, you know, tapping out the, you know, playing the major seventh chord that they found distinctive in their version of Ticket to Ride. You know, you see like the, the, the pride swell in, uh, in, in Richard Carpenter. And me, meanwhile, you know, I'm having these kind of grotesque thoughts of the Todd Haynes. That, that film he did of Karen Carpenter that he did with the, uh, the Barbie dolls hacking away at the doll to represent her uh, eating disorder. And we kicked off tonight's episode with It's a Wonderful Life from Chris Stamey's first uh, solo album. I was thinking about, you know, while I was flipping through the bins, how hard it is for me to recapture the magic of those first two DBs albums, bypass most of their solo stuff. It's all Will Rigby's solo album. Bongos. They're never quite as good as I want them to be. Let's active. I don't get into. So 
the beat goes on.
Love 
Romeo. Smile out of style. Rocktown Hall, Saturday Night Shut-In. You know, you can join in on the conversation. www.rocktownhall.com If you've never been there, then most likely you've never heard Saturday Night Shut-In. But I feel obliged to uh, promote the site. Uh, before that, we heard Wolf People doing October Fires and Fog Hat doing Trouble Trouble. Now, that's another album. They're, one of their early albums, I've long turned my nose up at it. But, you know, I was always curious about Fog Hat and the Dave Edmonds connection, them doing a lot of their records at at Rockpile, Rockfield Studio, whatever it's called, where uh, Edmonds came out of and produced a lot of their stuff. And that song, if you think about it, if they just sped it up a little bit and put a little more a little more good time humor in it, it's already there, the humor, but, you know, Fog has a little... little uh, they're not light on their feet. They're not nimble. You've got a little more nimble, though. You heard uh, Dave singing with Billy, you know, on that, that high harmony definitely be a rock pile song so I, I can hear some uh some similarities here i see you know kind of what what edmonds might have uh added to them or gotten out of them you know kind of uh had a kinship with and i have to be honest as hilarious unintentionally hilarious as free ride is it's also kind of enjoyable free ride and what's that other song boom 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 golden earring uh with the when I get lonely, I'm uh, one of those songs I have to get to the chorus to know the title. You know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, another year's coming to an end. Uh, the hall has been a lonely place of late. And uh, it's in part due to my being super busy. Sammy Maudlin has been busy. And I'm sure others have been busy. Others have kind of, you know, dropped off and dropped out. And, uh, you know, I do wonder, you know, what, where would rock and roll be if we had no rock town hall whatsoever? People just, lead singers just put on a guitar and holster without any, uh, without any shame. What kind of rock crimes would be unleashed without us whatsoever? But I am trying to get my head around all that and trying to, you know, it's something I love, but it's uh, because it's not up to snuff of late. And like I say, it's in large part my own fault, I'm sure. You know, when you love something and you're not living up to it, it can be, uh, it can be tough to take sometimes. I'm not happy about where I've let things slide. Here's something. This is another one of those albums that I've just, you know, seen since it came out. And just thought, like, is there really anything else to this album? This is the Ace album with uh, How Long Has This Been Going On? You know, with Paul Carrick's original, uh, you know, big hit song, The Faceless Wonder, Paul Carrick. There's a song called Sniffing Around. Really bad title and not that good of a song either. Enjoy.
I partially retract what I said. Sniffing around's not too bad. It's just about two minutes too long. I think you're gonna dig this one though. Wholeheartedly. Hold on. Here we go. Oh yeah. Well, you're welcome. One of the heaviest crooks in America today, Craig Dante! Town Hall, Saturday Night Shut-In. We listened to Three Dog Night. And the album Three Dog Night was captured live at the Forum. With Heaven Is In Your Mind, Feeling All Right, another traffic tune is playing in the background. Just gonna let that play in the background though as I speak a little bit. This is another one. This is one of the original albums in my childhood collection. And I had not listened to it probably since I was 12 
Not many things, you know. I usually pride myself in having just incredible taste that sticks through my life. It's rare that there's something I liked and then look back on and say, oh, what's that all about? But I remember around the years of going to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, whenever the band kick into Jeremiah was a bullfrog, I just got sick in the stomach and regretted ever liking Three Dog Night when I was a little kid. Recently, one of those Three Dog Night guys died. Some stuff was being passed around the internet. And I realized I don't even think I had my original childhood album. This probably fake live album, Three Dog Night, was captured live at the forum. Love that title. Cover's got a big fisheye lens of like, you know, of the throngs of people in the crowd. Each guy like an inaction pose, but in like a little rectangular box, almost like a baseball card of each each of the three guys on the front cover. Then the back cover has this incredible picture of one of the guys with looks like he's got a, a like a wreath of thorns. He's like Jesus. He's shirtless with his hands out to the audience. Young people, a beautiful woman up front with her hands outstretched trying to touch this Jesus Three Dog Night character's hand. And then it's a gatefold too, so inside there's more action shots. There's the shirtless guy again, a frontal view of him. One guy with an amazing mustache, another guy with really big mutton chops playing a tambourine. Bass player. You got the black drummer, all kind of stuff. Three guys up there with the, my God, the, it's probably like some like the LA, probably like the, uh, the forum, right? It's the forum, duh. And anyhow, so when I was a kid, you talk about rock, you know, rock superpowers. Three Dog Night was, that was the, they had it all when I was little. I mean, they were like probably right up there with the Beatles and Steppenwolf. Joe Cocker and the Mad Dogs and the Englishman. That was another powerful super group. <laughs> so, uh, you know, right after that guy died, I went back to this record store in my, you know, around my neighborhood, and and the Three Dog Night album sitting there. Three Dog Night was captured live at the Forum, sitting there in the dollar bin. I had to buy it, and I've, I've played it, and I didn't realize how many songs there were that were covers of other songs that I've been listening to that my uncle was turning me on to in his hippie bedroom with the day glow paint and the funny smells. I didn't realize they were doing traffic covers. They do chest fever, you know, I was kind of like being, you know, nursed on, on band albums and traffic albums and Hendrix and all that stuff. Leon Russell and Joe Cochran, my uncle's bedroom. Try a little tenderness to do the, you know, the uh, the Big Otis Redding showstopper. So, you know, going back to this album, it's just unbelievable. I keep thinking like, <laughs> excuse me, that might be the first sneeze on Rocktown Hall. Like, I go back and I think like, who were these guys? Because they're kind of... Even as a kid, I knew they were kind of square compared with everybody else. Like, probably around the age of 10, it started to become evident that they weren't quite as cool as the Beatles and Steppenwolf. A little more like leaning toward the banana splits. 
They're these, like, curators of hippie vibes for the masses. They just had their, their finger on the pulse of, of hippie vibes that could go over well with, uh, you know, mom and dad. Very strange band. I don't know if there's probably some equivalent to them out there today, but... You know, every, when the guy, when the one guy died, I started, you know, reading up in Wikipedia and other, other in-depth sources on, you know, what, what might have made that band tick. There was one guy I always thought was uh, John Houston's son. It's actually Danny Hutton, right? I think he was one of those guys who was running around skimming off of Brian Wilson, you know, in Van Dyke Parks and that whole crowd. Hey, man. Let's work on some songs together. That's some good grass you got, Brian. <laughs> Whatever they were into. I don't that whole that whole scene was weird. But I'm not gonna say any more because I'll probably go on and say something terrible like uh you know just start going off of my, my, my feelings about you know how history might have changed if somebody had just you know given Manson the record contract he wanted. No, A&R guys just couldn't see him for what he might have been as an artist. Probably wouldn't have been as good of an artist as he was a, a you know, cult leader and mass murderer, but it would have been a, I don't know, might have been, you know, kind of like a, a Paul Carrick type, kind of harmless. You know, with some hit songs over the, over the decades. Once as the sun was setting, a slave came to
Fresh Air.